sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 288 just a small amount of housekeeping before we jump into this episode. Merch is still available. Head over to thebackoftherange.com. Hoodies, hats, visors. Don't forget also about the Back of the Range collection at imperialsports.com. BOTR15 will still get you 15% off of your entire order. So we're going to jump in really quick this week. My guest on this episode is Alexa Pano. She was featured in the 2013 Netflix documentary, The Short Game, along with Amari Avery and Sky Sudbury, as they competed in the 2012 U.S. Kids Golf World Championship. Yes, that was over 10 years ago. That's how long the junior and amateur golf landscape has been aware of Alexa Pano. What has she done since then? Well, she does know her way around Augusta National. She's a three-time participant in the drive, chip, and putt. She won her age division twice. She played in all three Augusta National Women's Amateurs. She played an event on the LPGA of Japan Tour at the age of 11. Two years later, at 13, she makes her debut on the LPGA Tour. She's qualified for U.S. Women's Opens, Junior Ryder Cups, Junior Solheim Cups, five-time AJGL American. Her junior golf resume is, in a word, legendary. But now it's time for Alexa to go to work. She turned professional right after last year's ANWA and after narrowly missing out on earning her card after a successful year on the Epson Tour, she got through LPGA Tour Q Series and locked up her card. Not bad for an 18-year-old that has spent the last decade in the public eye. We spoke about her start, her journey, and what lies ahead as Alexa starts her LPGA Tour career this year. So let's jump right into this episode. Alexa, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? Thank you for having me on today, Ben. Um, how, uh, well, we're getting into 2023. You have a job this year, um, earning your card <laughs> on the LPGA Tour. So congrats uh, for that accomplishment. Um, now, most pros in the offseason perhaps go through equipment changes or they add some new fitness routine to the mix, but you actually address something far more important because, and I, and I know this, in order to hit the golf ball, you actually have to be able to see the golf ball. So tell me about this procedure that you recently had done. Yeah, so everyone who knows me knows I hate taking a ton of time off of golf, and I recently had to kind of force myself into some for the off season. I got my wisdom teeth out, which wasn't too bad. That was only like three or four days. And yeah. then I had my LASIK surgery, which I was gone for four days. And then I think I took an extra one off because my, I had a red eye in and yeah, but all improvements and I can see. So <laughs> that's a really, that's a really big positive. Yes. That's one thing with professional golf that you really should be able to do is be able to see uh, long or, or you know, short distances, far distances. Uh, I didn't know about the wisdom teeth. That, yeah. That's a, that's fun too, right? Do you have all four out at the same time? I, so I'm one of those lucky people that only has three. So okay. I got three out. I honestly, I didn't have much pain. I didn't have any swelling because I drank an absurd amount of pineapple juice the night before. Okay. Um, 
And so I like kind of a day and a half after I went back to like little bits of chipping and putting, but like full swing, I think I took off like three or four days. Now, is there, is there a video that has yet to surface of you coming out <laughs> of the anesthesia of you babbling or talking about something? I mean, oh gosh. I mean, I know those exist. It's so horrible. Oh, there is one. <laughs> yeah. I, I took some videos of myself and my dad has some, <laughs> I was hysterically crying. Um, and I was crying about, because I'd put my AirPods in before. They're like, you can play music to help you go to sleep. Sure. And I was playing Taylor Swift Okay. and I woke up bawling my eyes out because I couldn't find my AirPod and that they had stolen, stolen Taylor Swift. And so my dad couldn't get me to stop crying. So I literally FaceTime and wake up Anna Davis at like, I think it's 630 California time. Okay. And she tells me that Taylor Swift is dead. Okay, and see, now that's so, so on brand. I could totally see her doing that just to mess with you. What a terrible yeah, person. Horrible. And so I just start, I keep crying. And then, like, my dad goes along with it. And they're just like, yeah, you didn't hear, Alexa. Taylor Swift is dead. And I was just so out of it. And the videos are so embarrassing. But, like, they're funny to look back on now. But... Yeah, I'll have to get Anna back for that when she gets hers. Out. I definitely think you need to do that. And also, if you can yeah. uh, have your dad tell me where which offshore bank account number I need to send the money to, so I can get access to those videos, that would be <laughs> that would be great too. So if we could make that happen, um, wow! I can't. You know, part of me is like, I can't believe Anna Davis would do that to you, and then the other part of me is like, of course Anna Davis is going to do that to you. <laughs> No, if anyone's going to do it, Anna's going to. That's the the reigning Augusta National Women's Amateur Champion we're talking about here. Apparently a a prankster. I will need to get more information from her on that. (laughs) Um, Gosh, that's terrible. Well, I'm glad you're uh, you're getting the eyesight taken care of and and getting ramped up because I know that... uh, I mean, wow, 2023, you, you're going to be on the LPGA Tour after successfully gaining your card through Q-Series. We will definitely talk about that. Um, gosh, that is, uh, for, for those who don't know, it's basically the final stages of Q-School for the LPGA Tour, and it is eight rounds in 14 days. We will talk about that in a bit. But I think most of the uh, the amateur golf world, most of the golf world will know you for really what you've accomplished in in your junior career. And, and as we spoke about earlier, you just might be the oldest 18 year old on the planet, at least in the <laughs> golf space. Um, can't think yeah. of, I mean, normally on these episodes, I'm asking people, so how did you get into golf? And of course, you know, you're part of a documentary and, and when you're gosh, 10 <laughs> years old. So, I mean, you've been around the game forever. Where where are all the junior golf trophies uh, held and kept? Is it a storage locker? How insane was it? At, did it get to with your junior golf trophies? So we originally had one like shelf container that kind of started out with the U.S. kids ones, and we still have that. But then my dad ended up purchasing like two other trophy cases because he really likes decorating them and doing stuff with it. Uh-huh. So he has them really beautifully displayed um, downstairs. So they're taken good care of. Uh-huh. Okay. There's a whole team that polishes them and keeps them clean and there's <laughs> laser fencing around them. Do you remember? Yeah, exactly. Do you remember when the competitive aspect of it 
was it always there? I mean, was it always competition uh, for you, you know, get, you know, competing for trophies or traveling to tournaments? Do you kind of remember when that really kicked into the point of, okay, I'm working towards something and not just this is part of my normal golf life? I was always super competitive. Like I started playing tournaments two weeks into me playing golf, which I started at five. And two weeks later, I was in my first U.S. Kids event and I shot an amazing 72 for nine holes and came in third place out of three people. (laughs) And I still have the trophy that I took to bed with me that night. So it was always really competitive for me, but I think it got like kind of serious for me and super competitive. Like when I started transitioning into my AJGA years and I started getting into like little bits, professional golf. Um, but it was always really competitive for me. I will say from the beginning. And do you, do you have an idea where, and I'm guessing that it's not just with golf. I mean, if you're playing ping pong, if you're playing, uh, I mean, whatever, you know, card games, board games, is that pretty much just in your DNA? I, I want to win at everything. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, my dad tells me all the time that like I would, we'd be playing checkers when I was younger and I'd like flip the board if I was losing. So <laughs> I, I will never be known as a good loser of any sort. So. Okay. All right. Well, you know, well, cause it's interesting because there are some people I've spoken with that are just like you on the golf course, but then if they're playing something else, they're like, well, this kind of isn't my thing. This is my relaxation, but you're just full send. <laughs> I want to win at everything. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not a good loser. All right. Pretty Who, good winner. <laughs> pretty good winner. Yes. Yes. We, we know Alexa, you've won a couple of things. <laughs> we know, um, who, who owns you in like check? Well, obviously your dad probably is being you checkers at, at a young age, but I mean, who right now, mm-hmm. and please don't mention Anna Davis. We don't need her to get any more publicity right now. Who owns you off the golf course in a card game or uh, air hockey or ping pong or whatever? Like, who owns you? I don't know. I mean, anyone pretty talented at ping pong could probably beat me. I'm not very good. Okay. Um, but now you got that eyesight thing fixed, so, you know, who knows? I know. Maybe, maybe it's my time to shine. Okay. I'm honestly not sure, but I do miss, like, in professional golf, we definitely need to get like ping pong tournaments or something. Cause that was so much fun in junior golf. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I'm, I'm curious what your first year we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, 2022 on the Epsom tour. Cause that's I, obviously you've played professional tournaments in the past. I think your first LPGA mm-hmm. tour event was 13 or something ridiculous, but you know, <laughs> this was really your first season of yeah. professionals. So I definitely want to get into that. Um, you know, anytime you compare someone to Tiger Woods, I think people kind of roll their eyes a little bit and be like, come on, man. I mean, there's only really no Tiger <laughs> Woods. But when I think, yeah. but I think I'm on solid ground here by comparing you to Tiger in the sense that I really can't think of a junior golfer that has been in the spotlight for the majority of their junior career as much as you have. I think that's a pretty, pretty good parallel. And you've been tagged with this term as, as, junior phenom for a long time and you've seen juniors come and go where they are great one year maybe the next year they they you know regress a little bit have you ever thought of of like how did you kind of stay on the path to get you where you are today when you know when you're a junior you know you can find other interests maybe you don't you fall out of love with the game have you thought of how you've been able to get to this point in your career i 
personally would never compare my accomplishments to Tiger, but I can see what you're saying, like in the sense that I've been in the spotlight since gosh, filming at seven, which is insane. And it's definitely had its ups and downs, but I think my interest for golf has never wavered. I mean, even when my golf game has wavered or whatnot, um, but the interest has always been there and I've always enjoyed doing it. I'm a range rat and that's never changed. Um, but I think, yeah, I've definitely had some ups and downs and one thing to help with being in the spotlight is my dad has always kept me super humble. I mean, there have been times where I think I remember I was nine years old and we were doing all this promotion for the short game and we got back from, New York City this big promotion thing that was on Jimmy Fallon he's like okay it's time to get back to reality like um you're not on Fantasy Island I think he called it anymore and so he always kept me super grounded and I was never um never able to get too big of a head which I think was a big big thing for me yeah well you you talk about your dad and and I've actually seen you guys uh, practice uh down here in South Florida and I've seen him working with you Mm -hmm. and you know I'm asking this because I think it'd be invaluable for, for juniors and and parents of juniors Mm -hmm. to kind of get your perspective on this. You know, what has been the key to your, and I think you kind of referred to it just right now by keeping him grounded, but you know, you've had a successful, you know, he's a, he's your caddy, he's a coach. So you have a Mm -hmm. successful caddy daughter relationship. You have a successful coach daughter relationship, but also a successful father daughter relationship. How do you keep all that straight when, yeah, he, he's wearing different hats and, and you're wearing different hats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never easy. There's always ups and downs with all of it. I mean, there's totally arguments with my dad on the course, <laughs> all sorts of things like it happens. I get mad at him. He gets mad at me. We say annoying things. But I think on the course, it's definitely more of like a caddy player relationship. Right. And he knows my game better than anyone else. So it's really nice being able to trust that. Um. Even when I am annoyed at him, he just knows me better than anyone else. And, But I think a lot of what we do off the course is there's not a ton of like golf talk or even watching a ton of golf. I mean, I'm usually the one forcing him. But yeah, I think there's a pretty good balance there. And having him as my caddy out for this first year was really helpful. Um, I don't think I would have survived all the travel and the craziness of being on tour if I hadn't had him there all year. What are the kind of the, the, the pressure points? Like what are the things that drive him nuts? And what are the things that drive you nuts? Like what are those two areas where you're like, yeah, I can't go there with him or he knows like, yeah, I got to be careful where I go with like, what are those spots? Honestly, the only one that's coming to mind is when he's caddying, I, I will get really nitpicky with like people chewing or breathing around me. I'll stop. And I know that sounds horrible, (laughs) but like if I hear like heavy breathing or something, he knows that's like, or if I hear chewing too close to me, like he knows that's that one line he cannot cross. I will start an argument right there. Gotcha. Um, But I don't know. I don't think there's any like solid lines that he knows he can't cross because he's more comfortable with me than like, another caddy would be um and same with me like if I know he's doing something wrong I'm a lot more comfortable to tell him because um it's just a lot different which right now is working for me because I'm able to take things out on him or vice versa 
that. So, so basically, you're 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 prepping for a final round of the of an LPGA tournament this year. You're on the putting green. You're about to go off in the final pairing. You're tied for the lead with Nelly Corda, and your dad comes over and starts eating potato chips right next to you while you're putting. I mean, would that? Oh that, God, that'd be the end of it, right? I mean, just literally just shut no. The, that'd be shut the tournament. I get down. so upset, and he knows it. <laughs> All right. That's well, like even even my future caddies, like they will know that that can't happen. I'll lose it. You know, I I I feel bad because I think I just did. I think I just made a mistake here because I think what's going to happen now is you know who's listening to this podcast right now is Anna Davis and oh no, she already does this. Oh, we were literally on Facetime last night, and she'll start chewing her chips extra loudly just to piss me off. <laughs> I can't. I wish I was making it up. Anna Davis is a monster. She is. I'm glad the world knows now. Okay. Well, we w- listen. <laughs> if we haven't, I thought we were going to accomplish a lot in this episode. We were going to share all this knowledge that you've gained in junior golf. But I think the overarching sentiment that we've portrayed out into the world right now is Anna Davis is a monster. Yeah. I mean. I'm right. glad everyone knows now. Okay. I mean, we could stop the episode since we've accomplished that, but we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep talking. Um now I don't I don't cover a lot of junior tournaments, but you know, I'm around enough and I, I see the mm-hmm. different environment and I see the the interactions between parents and juniors. And, you know, I see all types. You know, I see the parents that are really involved, and then I see the ones that mm-hmm. are kind of off to the side, just walking down the cart path and you know, chewing quietly, of course. And, you know, they're just kind of watching their kids and there's hugs all around, no matter if they shoot 67 or 77. I mean, your relationship with your dad is one thing, but you probably, I mean, all your friends that you played junior golf with, you've seen all types of different dynamics. Like what are maybe some of the most successful ways for parents to support their kids while they're competing at a very high level with all sorts of pressure that, you know, whether it's internal pressure, pressure from, you know, a coach lingering around, what are some of the things that you saw that are like, wow, that they have a great relationship? I mean, I think on that front, everyone's super different. I think that's the nice thing about golf is there's so many ways to get it done, but there's so many different ways to go about that. I mean, my dad's always traveled with me, but there's girls who travel without parents. There's girls who travel with parents and coaches. I think the only way that I would say can be really tough is I see a lot of parents will like have their kids out on the practice area like extreme hours or kind of going to the extreme limits of stuff. Um, But I think there's just so many ways to get it done. And there's no way to like say there's one better than the other. Um, But yeah, it's, I definitely know it's difficult juggling um, junior golf and the travel and everything that goes along with it. It's never easy. Yeah. One thing I've seen is like, I think the player, no matter what their age has to be able to tell the parent, like I'm done for the day or I need, yeah. I, I'm mentally, I'm not here right now. Like I have to get yeah. away from this. No, or, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's and, always a limit with what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Where the return on investment of, of the time is not there. You just, you gotta, gotta get out of there. Um, mm-hmm. now you turn pro, which means unfortunately, at least for, at least for now, until something, unless something changes, your competitive career at Augusta national is over. Uh, you played in three mm-hmm. and was, 
I mean, I know you'd love to get back there for another one, at least for the one opportunity to bump off Anna Davis because she's the defending champion. I mean, there's there's that. Um, maybe you can get your status back just for that week and then resume your pro career. Have you thought about doing that? Yeah. I mean, that would be best case scenario. <laughs> Last year, I I couldn't – I had Epson status um, after I got it at Q School, obviously, right. and I played the first event of the season as an amateur, and then I skipped the next four events because I specifically wanted to end my amateur career at Augusta National. Right. And I – like. Nobody really knew that I was turning pro the next week. Everyone kind of knew I was turning professional. Nobody really knew it was the next week, except you might have, because I was trying to like not tell you. Right. But I kind of told you. Yeah. And, um, I think even Mega Gane, another one of my close friends, I like texted her that week and I was like, yeah, this is the week that it's happening. And I just, that event's so special to me that I could not end my amateur career without playing the final day at Augusta. It's so special. Yeah. I'm glad you got that done too. Cause I know that was really important to you to be able to play the last competitive round. Um, not just mm-hmm. in the tournament, but at Augusta national, the first two rounds for people that may not follow it super closely. The first two rounds of the Augusta national women's amateur is played down the street at champions retreat. So the, the, you got to get through a 36 hole cut to, to get to Augusta national, which Man, that course is difficult. I think that's one of the maybe yeah. the, the one thing that doesn't get spoken about with with Anwa. Everyone's focusing on, of course, how special it is to have uh, the best uh, women amateurs in the world at Augusta National, and everyone gets a chance to play around there regardless. But that's one of the big overarching things that I took away after my after last year is that place is tough. Definitely. I mean, I still call it one of the hardest courses I've ever competed on but I do love it because it's so like it makes you think and focus on every shot but at the same time it's like you cannot take a break on a golf course or on a shot on that golf course it's so challenging and it honestly felt like going to Augusta was not easy by any stretch but it felt kind of easier going to Augusta after playing at Champions Retreat yeah no, I could totally see that. Like, again, if, if I if I was a parent of like a nine or 10 year old girl, I would start making trying to find friends that were members of Champions Retreat. <laughs> like, I'd want to get as much practice there as possible. Forget about trying to get onto Augusta National. I'd, I'd, I'd figure out a way to get to Champions Retreat. Oh, yeah. The skills that you get from playing there every day would be unreal. <laughs> what did you see at Augusta National? I mean, you've played there. You played in three Anwas. Um, you, mm-hmm. you know, drive, chip and putt. I guess the, the wow factor of it probably never goes away. But for you, you probably had, I'm guessing you have the most experience uh, being on property and playing there. Um, with with uh, with Augusta National, what is maybe something that that kind of you've taken with you every time out of the property saying, okay, I'm going to remember this next year about just the golf course itself. I think every time I was there specifically for Anwa, my favorite part was always when we'd walk out for the players, or I think it's called the champions dinner or something of that sort. We'd walk out after getting off the bands and it was the most breathtaking view you'll ever see it's like augusta national golden hour uh-huh. and yeah. i really wish i was experiencing that again this year that's probably one of the 
probably one of the only things I really miss from my amateur career right now is that I'm not going to be able to experience that this year, but um, hopefully Anwa will make a professional event so I can. But it's definitely every experience that I have at Augusta National is my one of my best experiences in golf, for sure. It's kind of interesting you say that because that's, that's basically – you're really not hitting a shot at that moment. Obviously you're just with your fellow competitors and your fellow friends and just enjoying the fact that, Hey, you're here. You get to experience this. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the golf shot. Yeah. I mean, the years that I missed the cut there, obviously I was gutted that I wasn't able to play, but just the experience of being there and being able to compete in something of that sort is unreal. And I, would love to relive any of the years that I played there. They were all amazing. Even the ones where I didn't play well. That was another thing that I was really, I don't know why I was surprised by this. I, I mean, it didn't surprise me when I saw it. I was like, Oh yeah, now that makes perfect sense. But you, you know, the, the narrative is uh, all the women are going to be able to play at least one round at Augusta national for the ones that miss the cut, they'll go play a practice round and then, then, then that's it. And I mm-hmm. think I think it was Mega, either Mega or you, that went out and shot like sixty eight in their practice round, and were just. I think it was Mega. She had this great. Round. I think it was. Yeah, and she shot this great round, and I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" She's like, "Yeah, I played great. This sucks. I'm not going to be here tomorrow because I missed the cut." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking <laughs> about? You just had this great day at Augusta National." She's like, "Yeah, but I missed the cut, and I want to compete tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing she's not the only one that's wired that way. No, I mean the first year that I missed the cut was definitely the worst. Um because I missed it on my 18th green missing like a 10 footer for birdie. But I described it as like losing in like an AFC championship game and then having to go and like walk around on the field at the Super Bowl. Right. It's a horrible feeling, but at the same time, you're so lucky to be able to experience playing Augusta national. And it's not a feeling that I think a lot of people would understand because not a lot of golf tournaments let you to play around after you miss the cut. Right. But um yeah it's definitely something strange you're depressed but also admiring augusta national so (laughs) yeah it's it's really tough yeah it's a very bizarre one because you're you're wired as competitors and you have to be thankful you have to be excited because everyone i mean every golfer in the world would kill to be able to uh, to have that experience to play that golf course just once mm-hmm. and but you have to somehow shut off the competitive aspect and be yeah that's a weird one i mean it's great but it yeah. also has a little bit of like huh <laughs> yeah it's a tough one um i'm glad i ended not doing that that's for sure yeah well now i, I mean you can go back to augusta you are one of the founding members of the chicken and waffles club <laughs> and, and we don't discriminate if you turn pro or, you know, miss the cut or you're not eligible, you know, I mean, you're still in, so you still can come to the annual chicken and waffles. I know. So you can do that. If I can make it to Augusta this year, I promise you, I will be there and I will order chicken and waffles this time. Oh my gosh. So the chicken and waffles (laughs) club, I got to at least briefly explain that. So uh, last year in Anwa, there's this great place in downtown Augusta called the brunch house. And I think it was about eight, yeah, I think eight ladies that played the Anwa came by and, and we had chicken and waffles and it became the chicken. And, I think everyone ordered chicken and waffles except for, <laughs> gosh, who didn't? Who? 
me. Oh, it was you. That's right. You ordered some, <laughs> you ordered, um, you ordered a pasta thing, didn't you? Yeah, it was me and Anna. We were so hungry and everyone was ordering chicken and waffles and we're like, what are you guys doing? And so we ordered like pasta from a little breakfast place. Yeah. And they, uh, it was really good though. Yeah. But the, but these chicken and waffles were just like, you know, basically they, the, the plates were the size of hubcaps and it was, uh, yeah. yeah. So I think we're doing that again this year. So, uh, yeah, you mm-hmm. should, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the, the LPGA schedule looks like that week, but, uh, yeah, swing, swing on by. We'll save you some chicken and waffles. <laughs> Perfect. Epson Tour 2022. You make the jump after Anwa. This is, you have this great season. Um, five top mm-hmm. tens. I think you missed maybe two cuts out of 18. I mean, this really consistent mm-hmm. year. You narrowly miss out on getting the card automatically through Epson, but obviously you go through Q Series and get that done. But you're no stranger to playing in pro events, as we've discussed previously, but this is really your first time playing a full schedule with travel with other professionals that you know you're no longer alexa pano the junior phenom playing with the old i mean nobody cares about that anymore you are just another yeah you're just another pro trying to advance to the next level uh you know what were maybe the first few tournaments like for you not just on the golf course but kind of getting acclimated to like okay this is a job now it's no longer uh, junior golf's done amateur golf's done I, I work for a living now yeah I think I've been lucky in a sense that yes I'm looking at it as a job but like the money aspect of it has not hit me at all I'm still just trying to win each week or finish the best that I could um and so that was really nice and honestly the adjustment from amateur to professional went better than I ever could have hoped for um obviously it was a smooth smooth transition golf wise but all the people on the tour were so nice to me and I made friends decently easy more than I expected to um and I think being a professional this time and having earned my way onto the tour rather than being just a kid who got a sponsor's exemption um I think there was a lot more respect there which is nice. And, um, it was nice being like welcomed onto the tour. Basically. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be that easy of a transition. Does that tour have more of a feel like, Hey, we're, we're all trying to get to the next level, but I mean, I don't want to say that everyone's helping each other because you still are competing against each other, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like what you're saying is that it's like, Hey, we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to get to the same place let's make the environment as welcoming as possible. Yeah, I think, I mean, there wasn't anyone that I really didn't get along with, um, which was nice. And I think everyone just has the same goal in mind, kind of like you said. And there's just kind of a mutual respect for everyone there because we're all just trying to end up at the same place. When you're playing it at a lower level, whether it's a corn ferry tour trying to get to the PGA tour or Epson trying to get to to LPGA, there are places that you will go that you probably have never been to before. And you know, <laughs> we're, we're looking at at uh, you know there are it's different schedule in different locations. What was the and gosh, you've traveled a lot in your in your golf career. What was one place you went to that you're like? wow, I did not even know this place existed. I've never been here before. Where am I? You know, not, not in a bad way. I'm just saying like, you know, oh my gosh, I've, I've never been here before. 
so many. There was French Lick, Indiana, okay. the home of Larry Bird. Yep. And that was wild. Once again, same thing, Upper Peninsula, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Not much there except for a casino and a golf course. Okay. Um, and then we had Idaho where we played. I for Circling Raven, Idaho. One of the most beautiful courses I've ever played on. Nothing really there except for the casino and the golf course. And definitely experienced that multiple times this year, which was different. Some of the drives to these tournaments were just very one-lane highways for sure. about 30 minutes. And you wonder if you're ever going to see civilization again. And then all of a sudden, a beautiful golf course pops up right next to you. So, Yeah, I, I've been on plenty of those drives. Now, is it safe for all these women with all this just cash flowing around with this pro tour to be playing golf at all these these casinos? Like, I mean, is that is that smart? I mean, how seriously, how much of your prize money did you blow in a casino, honestly? Oh, gosh. I'm horrible at spending money. I hate doing it. And so... I turned 18 this year and we played the event that we were just talking about circling Raven in Idaho. And one of my good friends on the tour, Alyssa Rodriguez, Alisa Rodriguez, I keep saying the name wrong. She took me out to the casino for, cause I was finally able to play. Sure. And I spent like $20 made Whoa. absolutely no money. And I was like, no, this is it. <laughs> that was my one time. 20 bucks. I'm not spending any more of my precious money. <laughs> Wow, twenty bucks, you you high stakes gambler, you. Um, I yeah, could, I could just see you just sitting at the nickel slots for like two hours, with, and then once your twenty bucks are gone, you're like, that's it. <laughs> no, we were literally playing like dollar slots, and oh, I was like, oh. no, I can't, I can't even do more than that. That's funny. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, yeah, I there is. You probably have heard of Daniela Icabelli, though. I have. Um, she's kind of a mini tour legend. And she, I think, I don't know the exact number because she didn't really tell anyone. She kind of let the rumors like float around. But she made some, she made some five digit winnings off of the casinos that we went to. Wow. Okay. Um, she told me that she doesn't ever have like issues paying for hotel rooms and stuff there because the casinos know her really well. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll just stick with my like $20 so, and so, never again. So basically the, it, it really isn't a golf career she has. The golf is just kind of the front for her gambling career is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then she won on tour too. So I guess it was like a win-win for her. All right. Well, I think we're, I think we're figuring out the key to her success. That might be a interesting future <laughs> conversation there. What's your, okay. How have you, has your, how has your practice and preparation, has it changed at all now that you're having to balance more travel? Like, do you have, is it, are you super structured with balancing, you know, whether it's short game, long game, fitness, stretching, uh, you know, physio, how, how do you kind of organize everything in your first year? Um, I think the main thing for me, my first year was kind of balancing practice rounds and practice and stuff and not overworking. There's, a lot of times you think like if you're spending all day out there and playing 18 holes that you're going to be extra prepared for like the week, but it's not sustainable on the schedule that we're playing. And so I kind of learned when to play and when to push it with the practice and when not to. Okay. And so a lot of times my practice schedules would look like playing nine holes a day and then going out and playing the pro-am 
usually the day before. And I kind of learned to get more rest instead of like sitting out on a practice field all day. And I think that's something I'll also take into next year. And because by the end of the season, you're definitely drained. Those final events, you're kind of just trying to get to the finish line. And next year, I want to be able to like reserve energy for the whole season. Yeah, well, you're talking about, you know, getting through the entire season. I mean, first of all, getting getting your card. Yes, you played great on the Epson Tour. You, I think, you, like I said earlier, you narrowly missed out getting your card through the Epson Tour by by a couple mm-hmm. couple spots. So you had to go to Final Stage of Q Series, which for the LPGA Tour is basically two back to back seventy two hole tournaments in two consecutive mm-hmm. weeks. Which, I mean, that's eight competitive rounds. Forget about the practice rounds, but that's eight competitive rounds in fourteen days for your tour card. How do you yeah. how do you approach that? Because that's kind of on an island of that's completely different than anything really any professional golfer really faces. How do you, you yeah? Know, how do you approach that? I mean, did you sit down and talk to your dad or talk to other people to say, okay, what's the best way to get through this? Um, I mean, a lot of players on tour had like mentioned to me before I even knew I was going to Q series. I just heard like stories about Q series and how brutal it is and for me I was kind of worried about that but I took the approach that I'd kind of learned at the end of the season of um like I said like those nine whole rounds not pushing it too much and I think that really worked to benefit me because I played my best golf the final rounds and my final round was ultimately what got me through with such good priority in the status um and I rested so much I mean I can't even tell you how many naps I took I was barely awake just for the (laughs) golf part and I think that really benefited me um being able to reserve my energy and playing my best golf like when it really mattered but it's true there's nothing quite like playing the eight rounds of Q series it's really strange yeah I think if I remember right you're um I think your final two rounds, you finished T21, which got you Mm -hmm. full status, finished six, I mean, 16 under par for eight rounds of golf. And I mean, you're really, it was super solid. I mean, your fourth round, you shoot 73, which, I mean, that's your highest round, which is really nothing. I mean, a 73 really isn't anything you can't recover from. And then you, mm-hmm. you back it up the, the next four rounds, which is the following week, 68, 71, 68, 67. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's super solid. That had to actually, now I'm looking at it, so that 73 is how you closed out the first week. So you had to sit on that for a few days. Yeah, the 73 was really tough because the whole week I'd been ball striking really well and just not putting well whatsoever. And I think... I was actually two or three under that day going into like having like maybe four holes left, five holes. And I made double on a par three, hitting it into the water. And then I bogeyed a par five, which was that I was literally going for and two. So it was super uncharacteristic. And then I ended up having to make like a 10 footer for par on my 17th hole and then another five footer on 18. And just to like squeeze by to the next week, um, which I'm really happy I did that. Yeah, <laughs> and, of course. But then I think just after that, it was the realization that like 
I'm still in this. The next course was way more suitable for me. It was way more of a ball strikers course. And I kind of just told myself, I'm like, we're not doing that again with the putter. We're getting it together and getting through this week. And so I was really positive in all the preparations um, leading up to the next week. And yeah, it went well. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really a solid performance. I'm looking at, uh, you know, looking at the scores and there's, you know, there's other players that had, you know, I mean, I'm looking at one player who had a 65 and a 76 thrown in there in eight rounds. And, and that's, yeah. that's a lot of up and downs right there. Um, gosh, that's 76 in the last round that, that could not have been a fun day. Um, yeah, there were a lot of tears afterwards and it was really tough. Cause I think that eight rounds kind of hit a lot of people on the final day, which yeah. is unfortunate, but there was also a lot of celebrating, which I'm still 18, so I did not partake. I got my card and a cupcake and went home. You went your- so. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say I got my card and I went to the casino and I started <laughs> just throwing cash everywhere. and Yeah, the- all the cash that I didn't earn at Q-Series. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. You did get, I think, about 17. Let's, yeah, I think got about $1,700 for that. That's a, that's not a lot of money for eight rounds of golf, is it? But that's okay. You're yeah. Gonna t- you're, you're gonna <laughs> that's okay. Of, you're going to take care of that this year. Don't, don't you worry about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, exactly. I, I, think, I think you're able to keep the lights on and make ends meet. So, so we're doing okay. Now, <laughs> now we're talking about practice. Um, and, and you know, you know what we're going to talk about right now, which we share. This may be the only golf thing you and I share in common, but. Um, we have both cut our teeth. Obviously things have worked out a lot better for you than me, but, um, let's talk about one of our favorite places in South Florida, John Prince golf center, the Mecca. This is the place. Um, this is a public driving range in Lake Worth, Florida. It's run by Palm beach County where there's, there's mats there. There's golf balls with almost all of their dimples. Um, Every, every character in the world that you would imagine at a public driving range has been there. And what I love is that you still from time to time practice there. And when I think of, you know, when most people think of elite amateurs and, and pros on tour, you know, they think of these posh private country clubs with perfect grass and pro V ones and everything is orderly (laughs) and, and everyone, you know, the pros are okay. The pros are over there practicing. Just leave them alone. Don't look at them. They're, they're working. They're don't work now, (laughs) but you go to, you go to Johnny Prince. Talk to me, give, give listeners a little bit of insight on Johnny Prince. Honestly, John Prince is, It's never closed, except it did close one day for the hurricane this year when I tried to go there and I was really upset, but public safety, who needs that? (laughs) It almost never closes. It's old, reliable. Um, It's underratedly pure sometimes, like even the chipping and the putting green sometimes are in really good condition. And like you said, you see all types of life there. There is so many characters and. I I find myself there a lot on nights for the most part because like the Patriots will usually play like a one one o'clock game and it'll end around like four four thirty and so I'll go home kind of change and then I'll head out to John Prince and it's actually really fun hitting at nighttime so I'm not upset about it at all and yeah I quite enjoy getting to go hit balls there. And now that I know that it's the back of the range, it's just so much more special. See, see, there it is. There it is. Now we're going to now John Prince is, I mean, it's near, near to my heart. And I, the funny thing that I keep thinking about here is 
like you got the you got the boyfriends that bring the girlfriend out to the range and, and he's going to show her how to hit the ball and then you got the guy that's you know the 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 50 year old guy with 30 year old clubs with with lead tape all over the the everything with this new swing he's working on and then in the middle is Alexa Pano um which i i don't think i'm i mean that that's a reality i mean you must have had so many interesting just scenarios and and people talking to you like and you can't you can't shove that out of your brain but like how do you deal with just the random person that's like hey uh so you you, you've been playing golf long i mean the the absurdity (laughs) of this is just entertaining to me there's so many people that will come up to me and usually if i'm practicing at like a john prince or park ridge it's not that serious well it's serious but it's not that serious i'm anyone can come up and talk to me i'm gonna be polite and I, we were talking earlier about this and one time this guy came up to me and he was like trying, I think he was an instructor and he was trying to like say how he could help my golf game and whatnot and stuff. And I think he thought that he had just found like a hidden gem, like (laughs) kind of like a happy Gilmore or something. Uh And he, then he kind of asked me, he's like, Oh, have you, have you started putting yourself in like us kids tournaments? And I'm like 15 at this moment as well. And he's like, have you tried us kids or like some of the local SFPGA? And I think I just like come back from being like medalist at the U S women's am. And I'm like, yeah, I, I dabble a little bit in golf. I've, I've been here or there. <laughs> what, like, is, what is this yeah. us kids thing you're talking about? That sounds organized. <laughs> I might want to look into it, that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like something I should really like dabble into. I don't know. Yeah, just I mean yeah. that that's a reality show right there. See that that yeah, there needs to be a re- see, I know that you're you've already been in a documentary, but there should be a reality <laughs> there should be a John Prince reality show. Honestly, I've seen so many things there. Um but yeah, it actually is underratedly pure and I will say my one complaint is like I said before, I turned 18 this year, but my whole life I've been purchasing these like $150 range cards and hitting as many golf balls as I'd like to. So I turned 18 this year and I came back on an off week from the Epson tour and I wanted to go hit at night and I get there. My card doesn't work because I'm 18. I'm like, oh, shoot. So I go inside to get like, I think, two large buckets and I had to pay like $25 and I was like, no way, no way my age has gotten me into this predicament. You're, you're not a kid anymore, Alexa. You're a- no, it was the worst realization ever. I was so upset. Um, but other than that, I don't have many complaints about John Prince. It's, underratedly pure and a fun place to go yeah well i think i I, now you've you've hinted at you've dropped an afc championship game reference into this episode and you've dropped (laughs) in a patriots thing into this episode so i'm taking that as a subtle hint so we're going to talk about your your new uh, uh business partnership relationship sponsorship with the new england patriots i think you're you know, when most people think of uh, PGA or professional golfers that are have a relationship with the NFL, they're thinking of Payne Stewart, who would wear plus fours of all the different NFL teams. But you, uh, you have an allegiance to one of them, the the one that's up in the Northeast, the uh, New England Patriots. So you are now sponsored by the Patriots. Walk walk me through this whole thing. So it's kind of crazy, um, but it it kind the whole thing happened kind of crazy. But now I used to get tons of questions or like people would always come up to me and be like oh like alexa amazon alexa now like 
the first thing people will say to me is like, how'd you get that Patriot sponsorship? Right. And it happened kind of naturally. I had always been a fan of the team. I mean, my dad's like 30 some odd years of a season ticket holder. I'm from Massachusetts. It's been a big thing in my family for forever. Sundays have always been dedicated to the Patriots. And so when I turned professional and I qualified for my first major, the U.S. Women's Open, um, Titleist was making me a staff bag. And I don't have a college to put on it. I didn't go. So my agent and my dad were kind of like, oh, you should put the Patriots logo on. Like, it means so much to you. And so I did that. And then I was called by this great journalist at the Patriots, Alex. Um, and she wrote this great article on me and kind of the whole story and then we were playing in North Carolina the next week when my dad was written by um someone saying that RKK and JKK like wanted to sponsor me and wanted to like make the relationship official and my dad didn't tell me anything about it until it was like actually gonna happen but it's like his proudest moment i mean (laughs) he has like been such a big fan of this team for so many years and now like now we're kind of affiliated with them and i remember the day that i went and visited the team when i was up in new england and they told me that they were officially going to sponsor me was like one of the best days ever i mean getting to even go into like the trophy rooms and see the rings was like a great enough experience for me and getting to meet like Andre Tippett, who came in holding a Scotty Cameron Potter. Um, that was already a great enough experience for me. And then they told me that they wanted to sponsor me. And I was like, this day cannot get any better. So I'm super lucky to have managed that. And um, the support from the team is amazing. They're so supportive of my golf, for sure. That's a, that's a really cool sponsor. Now, uh, of course, you know, when you're there, when Titleist is making that, making that staff bag, you know, if you would have put John Prince on the bag, maybe you wouldn't have to pay for range balls. But I think I think you went the right way with the Patriots. I think the upside there. Yeah, I think you yeah. did good. Now, let me ask you this one. I have friends that are Patriots fans, and I guess this this is a little bit of a dated question. It would probably would have been a little bit more applicable a few years ago. But were you rooting for Tom Brady when he was with the Buccaneers? Or when Brady left, was he dead to you? Like, how did you navigate that as a Patriots fan? I would never say he's dead to me because like he was so amazing for so many years, but I will say I am a Patriots fan. And so my loyalties lied with the Patriots, but my dad definitely took it to heart. He was not okay. (laughs) It's funny. um, One of my dad's best friends, Brad Adamonis, who is also a professional golfer. They've been like, they've gone to Patriots games since before I was born together. And they got into this big argument for months because Brad wanted to root for Tom Brady. And my dad was like, how could you do that? Like your loyalties. Yeah. And they didn't talk for like three months because of this. So it was definitely a big deal in my household. Wow. Um, I don't, I don't know if Tom Brady listens to back of the range at all, but if he wants to, 
come back in his free agency, that'd be greatly appreciated well, by that's, me. That's what we try and do here. We try and uh, be a <laughs> conduit between uh, NFL teams. So uh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I'm sure he is listening. I'm sure I, he's listening. I, I can't believe you're even questioning this. I mean, of course, Tom Brady listens to the back of the range. Um, no, I know that's what he's listening to while he's eating his like avocados and working out. <laughs> I mean, of course, I, I can't believe that's even a question. Um, all right. So before I let you go, what is, uh, I guess what's on tap for the next few months, obviously we're talking end of January, so it's still early. Um, you know, what are you kind of working on between now and, you know, when, when actually, when do you make your, your debut? It's, are you going to Thailand or, or like, are you looking at blue Bay maybe as the first one? What's kind of your, your first, the start of the season for you? Um, so right now I'm trying to get into this event. It's actually an LAT run event in Saudi Arabia. Um, so that's kind of up in the air, but that'd be in a few weeks. And then my first LPGA start, I'm maybe hoping for China. Um, it kind of depends if they're still gonna hold that event, but the first few events of the year, the one going on this week, and then the first couple in the Asian swing are all based off of last year's rankings and not for rookies. Um, and then I'm hoping to start up here in the States in Arizona or California, I believe, um, which would be March. So just kind of enjoying the off season and getting a lot of practice done for now. You know, I forgot to ask you, you mentioned that you don't like gambling in casinos, but you're a professional and I hear, I mean, this is just, I mean, I hear things. I don't know if it's true, but I hear that sometimes professional golfers like to gamble a little bit on the golf course. Are you more apt to doing that on the golf course, obviously, than you are in the casino? That's a non-issue. But um, is it that you have more control over that than perhaps just like a slot machine? Is that part of your your practice rounds? I think with girls, there's not as much gambling going on that you would see with guys. Um, I feel like when I hear about their practice rounds, they're always like, yeah, we had this great match. But... I don't know. Girls don't do that a lot, but I do like to gamble on the course. I'm more open to that than I am slot machines. So like in the off season, I will dabble into that a little bit. Not much. I don't like to spend money. Like I said, please tell me that you've taken money off of, off of Anna Davis though. Um, I mean, I couldn't take her money, but I will say I went two and O in matches against her while she was here in Florida. There you so go. at least I have that. You do have that. I'm glad that the the final part of this episode is that you have one, you have, you're, you're two up on Anna Davis. So that's important that we're going to end the episode <laughs> that way. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been long overdue. Congrats on on the start of a great career, and uh, we'll keep tabs. We'll keep tabs on you, and um, and we got to go hit balls at John Prince at some time. I was going to say, yeah, we have to play or something while I'm home. All right, we'll we'll go we'll go play the short course at John Prince before you leave. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. And there you have it. Special thanks to Alexa Pano for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range. <laughs>